So I'm going to be reading from Romans 1, verses 8 to 17 in the NIV. It reads, uh, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first of the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as, is, as, is, as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of God. The question that comes to my mind is, does the Christian still have a witness in our modern scientific world? Is there still a place for the witness of God's people in this modern scientific world of ours. And I believe there is. Even in, with all the scientific and felt new things we got and the mechanical, everything, I can't even keep track of it. I take a little machine and I see my kids in, in the Ukraine. I can't understand it, but in the midst of that world, what is our testimony? For man is still in need of Jesus Christ. For it is Jesus Christ alone who can meet the deepest need in man. It is Jesus Christ alone who can bring hope in the midst of despair. It is Jesus Christ alone who can bring life in the midst of death. But there is a certain spirit, I believe, in which we must bring the message of God be his witnesses. And it is the Apostle Paul, in his testimony in Romans Chapter 1, the verses 14, 15, and 16. Give us an example as in what spirit, what attitude we should go out in this world of ours with the message of salvation. Paul writes in verse 14, he said, I am a debtor to all mankind. I am a debtor to the world. Secondly, I am willing I am not ashamed, I am jealous, I am eager to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the third one, I 
No, I am willing to share it because it is the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. There you got the three points. Write them down. And I pray that many times you will look at them for your own life. I am a debtor, Paul says, both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the unwise. In other words, he says, I'm a debtor to all mankind. Just as Jesus Christ came to save the world, all men, Paul says, I am a debtor to everyone. Whether it's black, white, red, or yellow, don't make any difference. Let's take a lesson. Now we find the word, the meaning of the word debtor in the Gospel of Matthew in the 18th chapter. There Peter asked the Lord, and I can just see Peter, the bolstery guy, and he says, Lord, should I forgive my neighbor seven times? Oh, you must have thought, boy, if I forgive him seven times, Jesus will be proud of me. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You always, always forgive your neighbor. Tough, tough thing. Sometimes you get hurt pretty badly. But he said, Jesus said, you forgive them as Christians. And then Jesus told them the parable of the man who was in debt. He was in debt to the amount of 10,000 talents. In our language, it would be, uh, may say, about $10 million. Humanly speaking, it would be impossible for that person ever to repay his debt. That's the word Paul uses for his own when he says, I am a debtor. Down the word of God, there is enough to compare the spirit of Paul with. Let me take you to the early Genesis. There we see Abel and Cain. They both come and bring an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's. And Cain was not very happy. And a little while later, we read that Cain found Abel in the field and he killed him. And then God came to him. He said, Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? He tried to lay off all responsibility, even for his own blood brother. We live, my friend, in a world of individualism, a world when each person cares for himself first of all. That's the mentality of the world in which we live. Oh, praise God, there are exemptions to that. But as a whole, we think of ourselves. We do it as a people, we do it as a community, we do it as a nation. 
We are so busy with our own affairs that we do not even see the people who are dying on the streets. Say, preacher, I never seen one die on the street. My friend, I have. Some years ago, Dr. Kennedy shared with us as students, as a few years ago now. I'm not so young anymore. And uh, he said, you know, a person was very, very badly hurt. He was lying beside the street. And he said there was not one person who would look at him. Not one person wanted to become involved. Now here is Paul looking at the world of his day. His family, his friends, know not only those, but those who tried to kill him. He said, I own them something. I am a debtor to them all. Paul felt himself to be in a position, beloved, where he must do what he had to do, and we all really know that the debtor has to pay. Paul felt the responsibility toward this fellow man. Do you? If you would be able to ask him why, he would very easily tell you the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, there lies a man very much in need of help. He was beaten, maybe close to death, who knows? You know? And there comes the priest, and he sees that man laying there, and he goes by as far as he can on the other side. Then there comes the Levi. He does the same thing. So, there lays a man. The elder sees him laying there. He goes by on this side. And then comes the deacon. He sees the man laying. He goes by on the other side. I'm just using modern language. Friend, there came a Samaritan who was hated by the Jews. He saw the man. And he felt in his heart the responsibility. He took care of him. He wound up his wounds. He took him to the hospital and said to the keeper of the hospital, here is some money, take care of him, and if it's not enough and I come back, I will give you the rest. Friends, the very fact, the very fact that we are human beings means that we owe something to each other. We are part of an integrated human race. We cannot live on ourselves or by ourselves and for ourselves alone, for if we do, we die. Not only physically, but we die spiritually. When Gain said, Gain said, when am I, am I my brother's keeper? 
he condemned himself for the very fact the word brother means that he owes something to him. Now here is Paul again, looking out of the world of his own, a world that was not very good to Paul, only reading Corinthians what they did to him. Most people wouldn't have lived that long. You know, and he said, I am a debtor to all men. If you would ask him further why he felt himself a debtor, he would have said, I am a debtor to God. And with the psalmist of old, he would have said, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Paul has a very interesting word in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. There he said he was entrusted by God with the word of God. God said, Paul, here is the word. Here is the message of life or death. What a responsibility to be entrusted with the word of God. And we as God's people are also entrusted with that same gospel, with that same word. That is why Paul writes to the Corinthians, Woe, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me, I do not live Christ's life here upon earth. Paul felt that tremendous responsibility. Do you? Paul understood that he was a fellow laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ and that he could do no less than his master. Therefore, he says further, I am eager, I am willing to pay the debt to preach the gospel no matter what the cost may be. What would you do? Would you say the task is too big, it's impossible? So you go and sit down in your easy chair or your rocking chair? I'm just throwing out some questions. Paul said, not so with me. He knew he very well knew that it was a great task that he, he had to do. He said, I'm willing to pay my debt. From the very day of his conversion, we see the willingness in Paul's life to serve the Lord. He said, Lord, when God had spoken to him, Lord, what will you have me to do? In chapter 15, the same in Romans, he speaks of his willingness when he says, I have strived to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. No matter what the cost may be, I am willing to give it all. Come with me to India. In India, there's the big river, the Ganges River. One day, a missionary, he saw a mother carrying a child and she had one on her hands, jumping around, happy, healthy. 
A little while later, he saw the mother again, but she only was carrying the weak child. And the missionary just could not figure out what happened to the other one. So he went and spoke to her. And he says, you know, where is your, where is your child that was jumping around you? Where is he? She said, I offered it to my God. I threw it in the Ganges River. Why didn't you give your sick, sick child to the God? She said, oh no, we only give our best to our God. How about you and me? Do we give our best to our God? Or do we give him a bit that is left? Most people do in the church. How much more should we be willing to give out all? We have a God, my friend, who can help us, who can give us strength, who can guide us. The God of the Genghis does nothing. How much, why, why was Paul so willing to give, to give what was in him? The first reason, he says, I'm not myself. I belong to someone else. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he writes, you are not your own, you are a bought with a price. Do we as Christians really realize that we are not our own? Do we really understand that it is not right for me to determine anything about myself? We as Christians belong to someone else. And that thought held Paul. He belonged to Jesus Christ. He was bought with a great, marvelous price, the blood of the Son of God. And he couldn't do else but do what his master wanted him to do. The second reason for his willingness to do the Lord's work was the, the, the command of God. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem to the far ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses in Exodus throughout the world. You know, this is not just a nice word. This is a commandment. You shall my, be my witnesses. Oh, we love God's promises, don't we? When God says, I will be with you, I will do this, I will do that for you. But what about his commandments? Shouldn't we pay at least a little attention to his commandments also? I believe, you know, I may be very wrong. I've never been there. I believe that one day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that all of you will, I think he's going to ask you one question. What have you done to make Jesus Christ known in this world in which I place you? Think about it. Still have today, maybe not tomorrow. We still have today.
to think of it. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. I am willing, he says, to preach the gospel, and I am not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles. In Philippians 1.20, Paul writes, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing, in nothing, I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ Jesus shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. One desire, Paul says, I have, that Jesus Christ may be glorified in my body, whether I die or whether I live. Is that your desire also? Why not ashamed? Why not afraid? Well, first, Paul knew who he represented. In John 15, verse 16, we read, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Isn't that tremendous? To be chosen by God himself to represent him? You know, I think if President Biden or Prime Minister Trudeau would come to your house tomorrow morning and said, George or Peter or whatever your name is, I want you to do a task for me. You know what I think everyone you would do? As soon as he would leave the door, you would go to your telephone or your cell phone, whatever you have today, and you would say you would never believe it. President Biden of the United States came personally to ask me to do a task for him. My friend, it's not the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of Canada, but it is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who says, I have a task for you to do. To be my representative. In the letter to the Hebrews we read, that our Savior and our Redeemer is not ashamed of his brothers. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming down here from his glorious abode with his heavenly Father and saying, my brothers, my sisters, I am not ashamed of you. Not ashamed of us? Isn't that wonderful? And in Hebrews, the 11th chapter we read, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God saying, see these people sitting down here? I'm not ashamed to be their God. God not ashamed of us. How can we be ever be ashamed of him? Why not? Why wasn't Paul ashamed? of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he writes, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This word, don't ever, don't ever take anything out of it. But this is the word of God from this end, 
to this end. And this is the word of God that can change the hearts of men, women, and children throughout the world. And I praise God there are some places in the world today where it is changing human lives. As it has before. Paul says, Rome, you may be powerful. You may have all the powerful instruments and to make people subject to you. And Rome was a mighty power. But you cannot. You cannot change lives. You can make them do things when you put the gun to them. But you cannot change them. Only this word can change the heart and lives of people. Don't forget it. Oh, I must come to an end. I want to give you one more illustration. Maybe many of you know about the five missionaries who went to Ecuador, South America, to minister to the Alca people. All five missionaries, they thought they had made friends with them. They landed, and all five missionaries were killed. Not very long after that, the wife of Nate Saint, Mrs. Nate Saint, took a little girl and went across the water to minister to those people who had killed her husband and the other four missionaries as he said, it is this word alone that can change their lives. And praise God he did. A few years after he had ministered to them, two of those who had murdered the missionaries stood in Berlin at the Congress of Evangelism testifying of God's power that changed their lives. Paul says, I owe something to all men. I am willing to pay my debt, for I know this is the gospel of God and to the salvation of everyone who believes that. To you, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your truth, Lord. Burn it upon our hearts. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We love you. Blessed to our hearts, Father. In Christ's name, amen.